Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. This Christmas season, we invite you to look deeper into the incredible covenants God made with His people in Scripture. Tune into our current series, Gift Wrapped, From Longing to Lavish, to discover God's unwavering promises to meet the ultimate longings of our heart and ultimately renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the gospel. Yeah, something we're going to be talking about this morning is a very real question that we all face each and every day of our lives. How do we know that God will come through? How do we know that God will keep his promises? How do we know that even in the hardest times where it looks the bleakest, that God is still with us? Well, this morning we get to continue our series in the covenants of the Old Testament by talking about Abraham. Or at our point in this story, we're talking about Abram. And we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 15. So will you please open your Bibles there? Genesis chapter 15. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, feel free to pull out your cell phone or any other device that you have as we get the opportunity to open up once again the Word of God. And as we turn to this passage, I want to let you know that as we're looking at this series, we've entitled it Gift Wrapped. And this idea that we're talking about is from the longing of the people of God in the Old Testament to being lavished with the blessing of the fulfillment of the covenants that were laid out in the Old Testament, Jesus Christ on Christmas Day. The hope is to dive into the Old Testament and see these different covenants before uh, the people of God and then celebrate Jesus anew this Christmas season. You know, it's a really unique way to look at the Christmas season, to look at the different covenants that we have within the Bible. Last week, we looked at the covenant of God with Noah, that God destroyed the entire earth with a flood because of the wickedness of human beings. Yet God chose to show grace to one family, Noah and his family. And even after the flood and all humanity had been wiped out besides Noah and his family, we see in Genesis chapter 8 that sin and depravity was still deeply embedded in the heart of people. Yet God chose to change his disposition to mankind in order to show grace and mercy. And he gave a, a promise and a sign, and that sign is the rainbow. The rainbow representing the promise of God that he will never again destroy the earth, but also the rainbow that represents that God is a faithful God who keeps his covenants and who keeps his promises. Well, today we're going to be looking at the second covenant in the Old Testament. It's known as the Abrahamic covenant, or very simply, God's covenant with Abraham. Now, if we look at the Old Testament text, the story of Abraham is really captured in three different chapters, chapter 12, chapter 15, and chapter 17. In chapter 12, God comes to Abram, who's living in, uh, uh, in the land of Ur, and he goes to him and he says, hey, leave your homeland and go somewhere. Go to the place I'm going to show you. He didn't say, leave your homeland and go to this specific place. He said, leave your homeland and go. Well, Abram, he, he believes God, he has faith in God, and he leaves. And God promises Abram some things. 
He promises to make him a great nation. He promises to give him an offspring, to give him a child. He promises to give him the land of Canaan, the promised land of the people of God. This all happens in Genesis chapter 12. Now when God comes to Abram in Genesis chapter 12, Abram is about 75 years old. And his wife, Sarai, she's in her 70s as well. And the thing you have to understand about Abram and his wife, and you may know this, but, but Sarai was unable to have children. She was barren. Her womb had been closed. You know, Abram and Sarai had probably tried for years to try and have children. And God comes to them in Genesis chapter 12. He says, you're going to be a great nation, and I'm going to give you an offspring. Now imagine for Abram what this must have been like. God is going to give me a child. And imagine how elated he is that God says that he's going to be a great nation. He's going to give him a child and give him a land for his own. Abraham, because of his obedience and, and God's grace towards him, is going to be blessed greatly. Yet today in Genesis chapter 15, 12 years have passed. 12 years of trying and no children. 12 years of monthly disappointments. 12 years. And today we join Abram in a very real place in his life. A place of doubt. Will God truly fulfill his promises? Think about that. 12 years. And there's no sign of this fulfillment. Abram's 87. Sarai's now in her 80s. Her time of having babies is passing by. And so Abram comes to God in this very real season. You know, the season that we're currently in right now. Probably most of us are facing one of the most difficult and trying seasons in our lives. I know it hits a more majority of people than pretty much anything else I've experienced in my life. There's hardship, there's suffering, there's difficulties, there's sacrifice that we are facing each and every day, and there is the uncertainty of the future. What does our future look like? Yet it is in those times that we must look at the answer of God. Will God come through? The answer is yes. Will God keep his promises? The answer is yes. And the answer that God gives Abram is that God's promises are firmly anchored in God's character. God's promises are firmly anchored in God's character. Not only does God speak his promises, but they are backed by who he is. So we know that our God will keep his promises because his promises are part of his character and they are backed by who he is. As we look at this covenant today, we're going to see three different assurances of the promises of God. The first is that we can rest in God's reassurances of his promises. Look at 15.1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield, 
your reward shall be very great. In this season of doubt for Abram, after 12 years of nothing, God comes to Abram. He says, fear not. Do not be afraid. I think this is a word for us today. Fear not. Do not be afraid. You can trust in God. Now, this is in the midst of one of the hardest time of Abram's life. It's 12 years since, uh, since the promise of children and still no heir. He has chosen Eleazar of Damascus of his household to be able to take over his lineage, which was a, a regular practice which in those days, but he has no child of his own. And to make matters worse, marauders came in. They kidnapped his nephew Lot and took him away. Abram mustered his forces and in the the power of God went and defeated those marauders, captured Lot back, and now he is at home with Lot. Yet can you imagine that this is not a very stable place right now in the life of Abram and in his human emotions, he is, he is asking, will God truly fulfill his promises? And God responds with two words, fear not. Then he gives reason why. He doesn't just say those words, fear not, and then just say, Abram, just listen to me. I'm God. You need to fear not. He tells him why. He says, fear not. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. He says, I am your shield. This is representing the protection of God, the provision of God, that God himself is Abraham's protector and provider. And that God himself promises to give Abram a great reward. He says, I am your shield. You know, in those hardest times, it's so important to listen to the words of God. Because while this promise is to Abraham, this promise is to God's people. I am your shield. Jesus himself says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am with you always to the very end of the age. We're told throughout scripture that God will fight for us. We're told that he'll always be with us and he will never forsake us. You see, in hard times, our emotions want to take over. And we're real people with real emotions. It's important to admit that. Uh, commentator Warren Wearsby writes this. He says, you certainly ought to listen to your feelings and be honest about them. When a person assumes responsibility for his feelings, writes psychiatrist David Viscott, he assumes responsibility for his world. It's important to assume responsibility for our feelings and to realize them and to deal with them. But don't stop there. Take time to listen to God. Receive his words of encouragement. This is the first time in the Bible you find the phrase, the word of the Lord came. It is used more than a hundred times in the Old Testament. The faith that conquers fear is faith in the word, not faith in feelings. Faith that conquers fear is faith in the word and not faith in our feelings. How many of you know that our feelings can lead us astray? Amen. Our feelings can easily lead us astray. 
Yet we don't deny our feelings, put them in a box, push them down, and, and don't deal with them. We realize them, we interact with them, and then we combat fear with the promises of God. We combat anxiety with the assurances of God. We trust in the Lord's word over what our emotions are telling us. And that is where we will find that faith conquers fear. Faith, the assurance of things hoped for and certainty of things not yet seen. Often when we are most fearful, we need to be reminded of the promises of God in his word. That's why we say each and every week, read the word of God. It isn't because you need to check it off a box or this holy checklist or because you do all of these things on this holy checklist that God's going to get you into heaven. That's an absolute false statement. It is only by the grace of God, it is only by faith in Jesus Christ that we can come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Yet the reason we read the Word of God is because we need to be reminded of who our God is. We need to be reminded of the promises of God. We need to be reminded of His faithfulness because it is in the Word that we hear the very words of God. That's why it's called the Word. It's the words of God. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for reproof, for correction, for instruction, and for training in righteousness. The word of God is what gives us our steadfastness, our encouragement. If you're struggling this week, read Romans chapter 8. Look at the things that God promises his people. If you're fearful, read the promises of Isaiah 43. We can trust in God's reassurances because God's promises are firmly anchored in God's character. And that's what God does right here. He says, listen, Abram, I'm your shield and you will have a great reward. I recommit to that for you. Trust me. Not only can we rest assured in his reassurances, but a second way that we can respond to God and his promises being firmly anchored in his character is to believe in God's promises. It's one thing to hear God's promises. It's another thing to believe in God's promises. Believing is throwing ourselves fully on them, trusting in them. Believing in God's promises. God reminds Abram that he is his shield and that he is his great reward. Now let's see how Abram responds. Verse 2. But Abram said, Oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Really, I think what Abram's saying here, and we have to be careful because he is before a holy God, is God, I hear what you're saying. You're my shield and I'll have this great reward. But look around me. There's no child here. It's been 12 years. Where's the promise? How do I know God? Then Abram says, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. This is a very real place that Abram finds himself. 
You know, I think one of the hardest places to have true faith and trust is when we look around and there's no evidences that God is fulfilling his promises. When we look around and there are no evidences that God is fulfilling his promises. Yet it is in those times that our faith grows the most. It is in those times of hardship and suffering and, and we look around and it looks like everything is in the world is spiraling. It is in those times that our faith is truly challenged. If we didn't have delays, if we didn't have destruction and hardships in our lives, we wouldn't have to have true faith. If everything was easy all the time and it was just an armchair type of faith that we go to church on Sunday morning, we hear the word preached, we go, hey, that stuff sounds really good to me. God will be with me forever. He'll always keep his promises. I get to go to heaven with Jesus one day. This is incredible. And then we're never tested in our lives. We never face hardships. We, we have everything taken care of. We're comfortable in what we are. Then we don't have to have true faith. It is in the times where it is hardest that faith becomes fullest. It's where our faith grows. James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds, and that means all kinds of trials. For you know that the testing of your faith, when you face trials and hardships, your faith is being tested. Because you know that the testing of your faith, it'll produce steadfastness. And this is, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete children of God, lacking in nothing. Friends, I'm going to be real with you. For me, in my walk with the Lord since 20 years old, I have not faced much discomfort. Yes, I've lost friends. Yes, I've lost jobs because of my faith. Yes, some of these things have occurred in my life. But truly in America, we in the Western culture, we haven't really had to suffer for our faith. Now, we may face persecution in our jobs, and that's very real. We may face hardships in our lives, and those are very, very real. Yet if we look at the reality of Christians throughout the world, we in America have had it very, very good. Yet the reality is throughout Scripture, we're never promised comfort. We're promised comfort one place, in Jesus. We're promised comfort one place, in Jesus, because friends, this world is not our home. And this world is a world that is saturated in sin and is cursed because of the sin of Adam and Eve. And it's going to be hard. Yet we have to believe in those promises of God. And even when there's no tangible evidence that God is being faithful, we have to believe. And, and sometimes we have to proclaim, God I believe, help my unbelief. Because we can't have faith in our humanness. We need to have faith through the power of God. It is only through the Spirit that we can face struggles in our lives. Look what God does. When Abram comes to him after God has just given him a promise and says, listen, God, I don't have a kid, 
And it doesn't look like you're fulfilling your promises. Does he rebuke him? Does he yell at him? Does he say, how dare you not trust me? I'm God. He could. He's God. Look at what he says. Verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside. He said, look towards the heavens and number the stars. If you're able to number them. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. Kids, have you ever tried to go outside and count the stars? Have you ever gone outside and tried to number them? You can't. And God goes, he says, this is how many offspring you're going to have. What a statement. Since his wife is barren, 12 years have passed, there's no sign of having a child. He says, listen, he said earlier, your your descendants will be as numerous as the, the sand on the seashore. And now he says, look up at the sky. Stars, they're innumerable. That's going to be your descendants. Think about that, though. God takes Abram outside. He shows him the stars. Who created the stars? God created the stars. This is the reminder that this is the God who spoke and stars shot out of his mouth and rested in the sky. This is the God who spoke life out of nothing. Imagine when Abram looked up at the stars, the sign of God's faithfulness to him. He said, so shall your offspring be. Yet Abram's called once again to trust God because all he has right now is the commitment of the word of God. What would we do? We're promised something, yet there's no tangible evidence that it's ever going to happen. But we're promised it by God. I mean, it'd be easy to be skeptical. It'd be easy to say, well, yeah, okay, you've said it, now you've repeated it, but I don't see anything. But look at Abram, and this is what makes Abram a father of the faith. Verse 6, And he believed the Lord, and he counted to him as righteousness. Abram believed the Lord, and it counted to him as righteousness. We see here an example of what salvation looks like. You see, for us, we look and we are promised that we miss the mark of God's holy standard. That each and every one of us is a sinner from birth and we are a sinner by nature and a sinner by choice. Yet, we've been given a promise. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Belief precedes righteousness. Belief, meaning throwing ourselves fully and trusting in and giving our lives to the promises of God. If you don't know Christ as your Savior today, 
If you realize you're a sinner and you miss the mark of God's holy standard, which is absolute perfection, which no one can ever accomplish on your own, there's no number of good deeds that will ever outweigh our bad deeds. The scales are tipped so greatly we could never overcome them. It's like trying to long jump the Grand Canyon. You might try and get really far by human standards, but you're going to fall way short. We miss the mark of God's holy standard. That's perfection. Yet, God has made a way. And it's through surrender. It's through literally saying, I I can't do this on my own. I've tried to do this on my own. I realize I've sinned against you. God, I want to live my life for you. If you don't know Christ as your Savior today, please don't leave here today without talking to someone Come and see me. Come and see someone by the doors. Grab someone and say, hey, I want to know Jesus. Because it is through faith that we are made in right standing with God. That's what we see with Abram here. And God responds to him in verse 7 through 19. He said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land. Abraham says, but O Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, listen, bring me a heifer that's three years old. It's a baby cow. Bring me a heifer that's three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid them, each other against each other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcass, Abraham drove them away. Now what in the world is happening? God, give me a guarantee of your promise. Okay, Bring me a bunch of animals, cut them in half, put them on the ground. What in the world is going on? Well, this is what's called cutting a covenant. It was actually a common practice in that day. And the idea was if you were going to covenant with somebody, which means you're going to obligate yourself to what you're about to promise, you would take animals, you'd cut them in half, you'd lay them on the ground, and then both parties would walk through. And what this meant was, if I don't keep my word, may I become like these animals. It's a covenant to death is what it is. And this is what we're getting set up for here. But let's look at, at what happens Verse 11, and when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. So Abram is waiting. I mean, he cuts these animals in half. It's like, we're going to make a covenant. And then nothing happens. He's driving away animals. These vultures are coming down. And finally, Abram falls asleep. Deep sleep comes over him. And I want you to see what happens here. Look at what God says to Abram. Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, slaves there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. What kind of promise is that? (laughs) And we know well that this happened. This is what happened in the nation of Israel. When they went to Egypt. Think about that. God makes a covenant with Abraham, and the first thing that he says is you and your people, your people, your people, your offspring will be under suffering and pain and slavery for 400 years. What? I thought God was only supposed to give us things that were, were, were things that we wanted. I wouldn't choose 400 years of slavery and suffering 
I was thinking about that this week. The United States is like 200 years old. This is double our nation that Israel was in slavery for. Here's a piece that we have to take from this. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean your life is going to be easy. In fact, the Bible tells us time and time again that because we are a Christian, our lives are going to be harder. See, the promises aren't financial gain. The promises aren't that this life's going to be simple. The promises aren't big houses, big cars, jets. That's not God's promises. Let's continue. Let's look at the rest of this covenant. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they will have great possessions. This is as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, you shall be buried in your good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquities of the Amorites is not yet complete. And when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire and a flaming torch passed through these pieces. What we see here is God is now walking through between these animals. This flaming torch and this smoking fire is the presence of God. And it's interesting because normally both parties walk through in this covenant. In this covenant, in every covenant we see throughout the Old Testament, it is God himself who guarantees this covenant. He puts it on himself. He creates the covenant. He sustains the covenant. He's going to fulfill the covenant upon his own name. And God cares deeply about his name, namely his glory throughout the scripture. God says, I'll keep my covenant promise to you. And God places the burden upon himself. Here's the point. God makes promises and he will fulfill them. And the reality is, is that the fulfillment of God's promises is in one person, Jesus Christ. It says in the word of God in 2 Corinthians 1.20, for all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. God's promises are firmly anchored in God's character. And the third thing we can see is that we can anticipate God's provision for our forever home. Look at 1518. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your offspring, I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river of Euphrates, the land of the Canaanites, the Kinevites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gergesites, and the Jebusites. Just a tip, if you have no idea how to pronounce these words, just say them loud and clearly and no one will question you. <laughs> the final verse details that God is going to give him a land and the nation of Israel a land. If we look at the geopolitical boundaries of the nation of Israel today, God is fulfilling that promise. Yet the home that we're promised for the Christian is a forever home. Because how many of you guys know this is not truly our home? How many of you guys can identify that you feel like an alien in the world that we live in today? Amen? Come on. Do you not identify with that? I feel like an alien in the world today. I look around and go, what is going on? It makes no sense at all because we have the Spirit in showing us that, that how the world should be in all the perfection, yet it's not lived out because this is a pagan world who doesn't know Jesus. 
They need Jesus, and that's why we proclaim the gospel of Christ. Yet we wait for a home that's described in Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Amen. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Praise the Lord for that promise. Amen. We we, we trust in the promises of God because he does not lie. And all of God's promises are firmly anchored in his character. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we may ask the question then, okay, I'm waiting for my forever home, but what about the pain and suffering I'm facing right now? What are those promises? Well, I just want to read you a few of those. Isaiah 41.10, God says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my mighty, righteous right hand. Isaiah 26, 3, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Deuteronomy 31, 8, the Lord himself will go before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be discouraged. Psalm 37, 23 through 24, the Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Isaiah 40, 31, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eels. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. John 10, 28 through 29. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Whoever my Father has given to me, my Father is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 29. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Romans 8, 828, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And Matthew 2820, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Do you notice something about those promises? They're promises for his presence. That's what we're promised from God. He will be with us. He loves us. He cares for us. He adores his people. And he will do whatever he needs to in order to grow his people more like him. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.